Dadalukas, 12 fours, and Grant is backwards and he doesn't need him. But Dadalukas scored on the half hour, long ball out of defence. And Kunle Dadaluk took it in stride and swept it into the back of the net. Into the playoff mix, indeed. What a race we've got on our hands. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Canadian Premier League Newsroom Show. As ever, Christian Jack and Charlie O'Connor Clark for the next hour, along with many guests on this week's show as we recap a week where we saw four games in four days from coast to coast. I let us pull together the closest Canadian Premier League title race on record. Later in the show, we'll also talk some Canadian women's national team with our own Benedict Rhodes, who was our correspondent on their games as they made it two wins out of two from down under. Uh, results this past weekend, though, in the Canadian Premier League, Atletico Ottawa nil, FC Edmonton nil, Pacific 1, York United 3, Valor 1, Forge nil again, and Halifax nil, Cavalry nil. What a weekend it was, Charlie, and it has to be said, the theme right now is five into four does not go, and what a race we have at the top of the table. Yeah, this is not something, I think, in full honesty, that I was expecting about a month ago to happen. It looked like we were in separation, but drop points in certain places and Valor being on a red-hot tear, as we're going to have to get to, it is exciting. We've got a top four race, we've got a regular season title race as well. It's all close within that group, so I just, I can't wait to get to it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. Regular season title race, champions of the regular season means a lot to us. We'll be celebrating that as well. Uh, if you're watching live, be fr feel free to put out your questions or your comments on the side. We'll get to as many as we can. If you're listening to it later, of course, we always remember our downloaders. We thank you for listening to that. Before we bring Mitchell Tinney in to recap a brilliant game in Winnipeg, you mentioned it a month ago. You did not hear it. You did not see this coming. What about this for a stat? The last 13 games uh, for all these teams, Valor 26 points, Ottawa 22, Forge 19, Cavalry 18, Pacific 17, York 16, Edmonton 12, and Halifax 11. That's not a little run, Charlie. 13 no. games. That's almost half a season, and Valor have got the best record. Yeah, 26 points out of their 36 total. Uh, tells you just how on form they've been lately and how, you know, they, they maybe didn't start the season the way they wanted to, but they kept the faith and they found the form and, and the system that's working for them. And it's just been remarkable to watch them play and to kind of continue to grow in confidence that they belong in that race as they now absolutely do. Yeah, they certainly have found that system and that identity you talk about is real. Uh, let's bring in Mitchell Tinney, our correspondent on this match. We start the show with the hottest team in the Premier League, Mitch, we have to. And the Valor of Winnipeg, have well, they welcomed a bewildered Forge uh, for the second straight game. In the end, though, it was the second straight kind of game that ended at 1-0. What impressed you the most about this victory is they made it two wins from two against Forge this week. Well, it was such an intriguing match, right? Because it's as close to a playoff matchup as you're going to get in the Canadian Premier League regular season in the sense that it's back-to-back -back games against the same team. Obviously, Forge don't get the, the home leg in this one, but 
Valor knew, I, I mean, no two matches are the same. They're, they're, they were going to have to tweak their system slightly, but they knew they could expect something similar from Forge because Forge have such a, um, a sound identity. They knew Forge would do what Forge always wants to do, get on the ball, um, possess it well. And, you know, they really wanted to disrupt that in this match. The one thing they didn't like that they did well um, or they didn't think they did very well in the first match was how they possessed the ball and how they were able to get on it. And that was a key part of their second match was wanting to get on the ball, wanting to make sure that they could disrupt the the different times Forge were in possession. And especially in the first half, they did an incredible job of that. They had 57% of, of the ball in the first half and were actually able to turn that into some good chances as well. So I think that was the key to this match for them. And we've seen this kind of play out before between uh Forge and Valor, where I think there was a match at, in at Tim Hortons Field earlier in the year where it was 1-1 at half. Valor actually did an incredible job of pressing Forge early in the second half, and then they just kind of gassed out as the match went on. But the fact that they did have so much of that ball in the first half, you know, they were ready for the Forge push in the second half, and they were able to defend it well. Yeah, you mentioned that game. That's an interesting one to bring up because that is the only game out of four that Forge have got any points from Valor. They lost three games this season. Mm-hmm. And that was the only game, and they only and they needed two goals late to be able to secure that victory as well. Uh, those watching you, uh, live on YouTube, the goal by Brett Levi's in the 73rd was a difference. A little red card there by Alessandro Rigi, not necessarily an impact on the result, but of course will lead to a suspension um, as well. Before we hear from Phil DeSantos, we talk about the system that they're playing, Mitchell. They are a team that have consistently take the leading games and are very difficult to break down. And that's what makes them dangerous. No, we are heading into the, the new year. The school's back, fall's coming, playoff season's on the, on the way. And they look like a team, not only that is successful in the regular season, but when you play them in the playoffs, they're going to be very difficult to break down. And that can often, often be the recipe for cup football. Yeah, and I think they've found a, an excellent mix with that. You know, that three at the back, they have such good defenders in there. You know, they played this game without Andrew Jean Baptiste, which is, you know, incredibly impressive that they were still able to get a clean sheet and no shots, by the way, for Forge in this match, which is. Or oh, no we'll get to that. Target. We're going to get yeah. to them in a minute. <laughs> oh, no, I know, but it <laughs> is agree. worth bringing up several times because it is such a shocking statistic in this game. Um, and then I, I really think that the guys who don't get enough credit is that double pivot of Gutierrez and Fordyce in front, um, because they are excellent. Uh, and one thing they do incredibly well is just, they never lose the ball. Uh, I think they were both at 83%, um, you know, passing during this game, which against a forge side who really do like to press and especially like to press in that area. The, you know, that's, that's very impressive. And it's something that I think, you know, you saw Fordyce with the incredible pass to Levi's there getting up the mm-hmm. field as well. Those are two guys who I think go under the radar a little bit. So I think they found a, a really solid and a resilient system. And you compare them in some ways to Atletico Ottawa, where, you know, they get that one goal, they get that first goal and you're like, uh Oh, like we're in trouble here at this point. And yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot to like about what they've been doing lately. Yeah, really good point. I like those two. Two players were very close to getting in our team of the week this week, but didn't. But that just goes to show you how good so many midfielders were uh, this week. Uh, Five wins now since the beginning of August. They'd only won five in the first four months of the season. And as we mentioned, back-to-back 1-0 victories over Forge this week. It has been some week for their boss, Phil DeSantis. I think we played another very solid game. you know, it felt almost like um, like two halves between Wednesday and, and today. Uh, uh, a lot of similarities in the type of game that was played. My question mark was how how can we replicate in many ways what we had done on Wednesday? 
but be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more in, in the front foot, uh, make better use of possession. Um, and, and that's something that we were wanting to do in this game, and I felt we did that a lot better. I felt the best chances were for us. Some of those chances came from moments we were in possession and we were able to, to open them up with, with the big switches and uh, getting Andy and Brett on the ball. Um, I think that overall it was, it was a fantastic week for us. But like you said, right now, you know, I challenge the guys to protect the progress that we've made. That's the most important. Once you're above that line, we have to do everything to try and stay there. And, um, and it starts with, uh, with next weekend. Another stat for you. The last seven victories that Valor have, 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 have achieved this season, they haven't conceded a goal. Just goes to show you how difficult it is to break down. But you mentioned it. We talked about it. What a week it's been. Uh, Charlie, let's look at Phil DeSantos' reaction here on the whistle because this sums it up. Look what it means to him. Just look at that. Charlie, that's emotion and passion right there in the Canadian Premier League. Yeah, I bet it, it really you, is. Really some, is. Let's, let's play that on loop. Let's see that again. <laughs> play it again. Let's see it a couple more times because it's just amazing how much passion there is in that coaching staff and that team. I mean, They've had some down moments in this season and realistically they were counted out by a lot of people uh, not even that long ago. True. Uh, but I think what we've kind of seen over the last few weeks is maybe the rest of the top four or the top four at that point started to get a little complacent and Valor saw an opportunity for themselves and they just kept working. They're one of the hardest working teams off the ball in the league. They've been so impressive. But uh, one of the things that interests me about you know, what Phil said in his, his comments there uh, is how he saw these two Forge games as kind of two halves of a game. Um, Valor, a team that are good at adjusting within games ha between halves. I don't, I don't know, Mitchell, do you feel like they maybe adjusted after that first game better than Forge did going into this second one? Oh, certainly. I think that's, I think there's no question about that. Any Forge adjustment came, uh, you know, at the actual halftime of this second match. Um <laughs> You know, they, they really struggled out of the gate. And I, I do think that's a good point you make on just the, you know, maybe the complacency, but also the intensity of Valor. Like, Valor's been playing playoff games, and they've been playing like these are playoff games for the past little while. And um, we've seen, you know, in, in the past few weeks, the games have gotten a lot tighter. There's been less goals in general as it gets closer and as those games get more, um, you know, closer to to playoff time and more meaningful um, those, you know, the three points getting picked up by sides are any points are more meaningful now. So I think Valor is a side that have shown they're incredibly comfortable in those sorts of games. And they did that, you know, three in a row against, you know, can playoff contending teams, one nil. That's the mark of a side who knows how to win close games. And that's incredibly important this time of year. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, let's hear from one of those heroes, the aforementioned Daryl Fordyce. Obviously, Forge are a very top team, you know, they've won two championships and every time you play them, they love to have possession of the ball. They've got very intelligent players, and they can hurt you uh, for sure. You know, so if you don't get your press right, and they, they can certainly open you up and hurt you. Uh, the last two games, we, we've been quite solid. Um, I thought today in the first half, we actually took care of the ball a lot more. Um, I think we actually outpossessed Forge in the first half. But again, uh, whenever Forge did have the ball, we we knew our roles, we knew our responsibilities, and. And we fought for each other, we covered for each other, um, and that was important, you know. Uh, but again, it's whenever we go on a training pitch and the coach pitches tactics together, it's down to us players to to do it on the pitch. And over the last two games, I think we've we've done that. But we need to keep uh, keep our momentum going and, and keep 
uh, focusing on the next game. They're a confident group. You can see it. You can feel it when they say it. He's not one for hyperbole, but you can just feel it. They know how good they are at the moment. Uh, finally, the final point on them before we talk about what's going on in Hamilton. Uh, let's cue the celebration up for the locker room after this. This is what it meant for the Valor team on Saturday. Great tune, great celebration. Um, Mitchell, if you were a part of that team, would you be a bathtub guy, a flag guy, a cheering guy? <laughs> what would you be? I hope not the bathtub guy. That looked pretty terrifying being yeah. in there if you were Brett Levis. Like, yeah. um, That's yeah, what I happens think... when you're the man of the match, though. You just get chucked in. So, Charlie, yeah. you got to make sure you're not, if you're not a bathtub guy, you can't be man of the match. <laughs> yeah, I just I just hope that they don't hurt him, man. <laughs> that looks dangerous. I think I'm I think I'm the filming guy, as much boring as it is. I'm the guy who's mm. filming everybody to get that up. But you I, I got my eye on Mitchell being the flag guy. I still think Charlie could be the bathtub guy. Uh that's okay. what I, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> Probably not wrong, to be fair. <laughs> I really do think on a on a high you could be that bathtub guy. Uh tell you who's not on a high. That's right now a forge in Hamilton. What a mess this team is. Um, we've covered them a lot lately. It doesn't seem that long ago we were singing their praises because you know what? It wasn't. It was only a month ago. They've won six on the bounce, 17 goals scored, two against from July the 8th to August the 6th. Here we are now, a five-game winless streak, club record, by the way, from August the 12th to September the 4th, and they've scored just two goals uh, during that run. Mitchell, what were your thoughts watching this team? Because they look nothing like what we saw a month ago. Well, I mean, my big thought in this match is just how important Alessandro Hajabarpour is to their system. Um, when he wasn't in there in the first half, they had no one to connect the the defense to to the attack, really. And that's where they lost all that possession to Valor, was Valor was just able to sit in that area and pick off um, anything they tried to do going forward. Or, you know, they just try and bypass, and then Valor's strong defenders would, would pick off the play. So I think Hajabarpour is a pretty essential part of this side, and I think that was pretty clear. But... Yeah, it is concerning. I mean, we've seen times this season, there was the back-to-back -back earlier in the year where Forge had the 1-0 results at home where they lost to Valor and Ottawa. Um, we've seen them not be able to score before. This isn't new. I mean, certainly we haven't seen it to this extent, but during those matches, they created a ton of chances. This was their sixth straight match, going back to that home win against Halifax, where they've had less than one expected goal. They are not creating chances right now, and you know, it's concerning. They haven't been able to find a consistent front three. Um, none of them are really firing on all cylinders right now attacking-wise. So there's a lot to, um, a lot for Bobby to think about. And, you know, you almost have to find some guys and, you know, give them a couple different matches here, I think, because just interchanging them as much as they have recently. And I know there's been some suspensions and different things they've had to do in there. But um, I don't think that's been ideal for them. And I know you have the depth, but at the same time for attacking players to build the confidence, they need reps. And I don't think we've seen enough from that lately. No, it's it's very interesting. I mean, they went with, a, you mentioned it, Noah Jabberport, they went with a double pivot, 4-2-3-1 to start. It lasted 45 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. They brought him on at half time. They played Borges more central. They played a different look to the front, three, front, the front four effectively, but you know, two of them got pulled off at half time. 
Um, so obviously they're seeking answers right now, but they're getting no clarity uh, on that. It's a difficult time. Um, I mentioned their difficult run in front of goal. They've had eight shots on target in their last five games, three in their last three and none on Sunday in that last game. Um, their expected goals is also two and a half in their last five matches, which is mind-blowing considering they were blowing. Just go look at the goal difference on the league table. Mm -hmm. They were blowing teams away, three, four goals in this run, and it's just completely dried up. Um, here's the thoughts after this one of their head coach, Bobby Smidiotis. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty football match all around. Um, kind of second game in a row. Um, a little bit uh, difficult to get a rhythm uh, on this pitch. Uh, I guess it's proven to be a tough one for us over the last uh, couple of seasons this year and going back into last year and, and the bubble games and so on and, and just finding a rhythm with the ball moving, bouncing quite a bit. Um, the opponent did a good job pressing, but that's not something uh, we haven't seen before. I just thought, you know, we weren't clean enough on the ball and then, you know, forcing, uh, forcing situations. And if you want to win games, you got to put the ball in the net and we haven't put the ball in the net today. What next? Apart from putting the ball back in the net, what else can they do? Uh, that question was asked Kyle Becker, who wasn't really in a chatty mood afterwards, uh, but here's what he had to say. I think we have to be better with the ball. Maybe work a little harder. Is it that simple, Charlie? Just work harder? I mean, if you were in charge of that team right now, what would concern you? What is the solutions that can do, or is it just a difficult run? I don't know. I don't think the solution is work a little harder, although... To be fair, kind of going back to to an earlier point, I think Forge might be one of the teams that were a little bit too comfortable in that top four, and not, I mean, still are fairly comfortable to be honest with their goal difference and and games remaining. But I I don't know quite what it is, and part of the problem, as Mitchell kind of alluded to, is that they have so many good attacking options that they don't have the minutes to give to all of them or or the training time to find which ones work best together, especially with so little runway remaining to the playoffs. So. It is a bit of a concern that just the the final third is is just not there. Again, this does kind of crop up occasionally for Forge, right? They'll mm -hmm. control the ball. They'll play very good football. They'll play out of the back, and they just will get to the attacking third and have nothing. They had nine touches in the box on Sunday in Winnipeg, and that is, again, kind of out of character for them. So uh, I, I think you know they'll, they'll appreciate having a week of training to maybe just go back to some basics, some fundamentals, and go back to – you know, the, the players that have, you know, proved themselves most this season and that, you know, kind of deserve to be in that lineup. And that I, I think ideally, if you're forward, you probably want to just give a, a front three of players an extended run, two, three, maybe four games in the starting lineup to just see if it's, you know, a, a lack of chemistry or cohesion. That's maybe the thing that's missing for them at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think the Y players, none of them are playing well enough to make sure mm -hmm. that they play the same every week. And none yeah. of them are playing bad enough to get dropped, right? So there's there's no one's really showing up. The other thing they miss, and I'm not saying that Nanko, if he gets fit, is going to say he's going to play, but they miss players going in behind. It's a lot of coming to the ball. It's a lot of too much. And then they're not getting the ball into the box. That's, a, that's one thing, I think. The other thing is, I think that this is a team that lacks rhythm. That Pacific game that got cancelled because they played in the CONCACAF gave them more time off. They don't like that. They need a run of games. Last year, their games came fast and they loved it. And this the gap between games, I think it just I think there's a lack of real intensity about their football right now. Uh, and the third thing, I know it's a great point you mentioned about Hajabapur, but they need to play Janssen in midfield. 
I'm absolutely adamant now. I mean, it, it, I, I, they have to play him in midfield because the intensity and the directness ramps up, the ability to play forward and fast. Now, they may not be able to do that all season. We don't know about Crutzen. He's the best defender in the Canadian Premier League, and he hasn't played a minute, and that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, yeah. So if they can get him back and they can get Crutzen back, and then you've got Crutzen, you know, you've got Olavi Bellowu, you've got Samuel, you've got Matusla, you've got enough depth there to go, yes, I know Ajaba Paul's played well, but we have to play one of the best players in the Canadian Premier League in his best position. And that's Alexander Yashinoyansa playing at the base of midfield. For me, that's that, that if they're going to want to try and win it, that's what they have to try and think about doing next. But it's interesting. It's a lot, a lot going on, and they got a big game coming up because they got cavalry on the weekend. So that's going to be fascinating as well. Uh, so yeah. great stuff. Uh, Mitch, thanks again for this. Great work. Campio.ca, the analysis on that game, and we'll chat with you again next week. We appreciate you. Sounds good, guys. Thank you very much, Mitchell Tinney, on a great game in Winnipeg. Charlie, you were the one covering Atletico Ottawa versus FC Edmonton on Friday night. The visitors yes. arrived full of confidence after a 3-2 win over Halifax. Carlos Gonzalez and his side were trying to get going again after a frustrating scoreless game against Forge. Um, but in the end, they couldn't ignite their attack, and the resolute FC Edmonton got exactly what they wanted out of this one. Yeah, this was another really impressive moment for Edmonton. They've had some good moments at home recently, but for them to go on the road to a team in good form, to a team you know that's at the top of the table and kind of take the game to them was really impressive. I think the first half was a little bit more maybe slanted in Ottawa's favor. They were able to get into the attacking half a little bit more easily, but then at halftime, uh, Alan Koch kind of makes a change. He brings Simon Trantafilo into midfield instead of Master Casher, who was playing a little bit higher up in more of an attacking role. And from there, Edmonton kind of dominated midfield, which was weird because Ottawa is one of the best midfield teams in the league. And it's kind of their strength with Ali Bassett and Abu Sissoko in there together. So for the way that Edmonton were able to kind of take control of that area of the pitch and, you know, stand a little bit higher up and, and win the ball a little higher up the pitch than they're maybe used to was impressive. And it really, really did frustrate Ottawa, who a lot of their chances came either from from outside the box or, or there were kind of moments where the shot is quite covered off. They had a lot of set piece opportunities and I think it's really not been good enough from them in that department this year at all. Right. Right. Uh, with, with their, uh, this is something that drew Becky, I think said after the game, they're just not putting nearly enough of those in dangerous areas or on target, but Edmonton really limited them from getting the kind of the transitional opportunities where they like to score. They stopped Bellu Tabla from kind of getting in behind. He had a couple chances, but most of them were in front of the back line. They were kind of shots from distance or things like that, which isn't necessarily his bread and butter. So it was impressive to see Edmonton just really frustrate them and make the game disjointed. There were professional fouls when they needed to. They just made the tempo what they wanted it to be rather than what Ottawa did. Yeah, I thought they were excellent, Edmonton. Excellent, um, by the way. And not to go there and really go toe-to-toe -to -toe for them, it was interesting in the in the post-match press conferences. We're going to play them now. The tone wasn't that they were just delighted to get the point. They wanted more. Uh, talking yeah. of which, uh, let's hear from their skipper. Here's Shamit Shaw. I think our goal when we play away from home is, you know, we get a point first and we build from there. Um, but to go three games undefeated, it shows that we're progressing and things are starting to click. Um, I think we put in a, a pretty disciplined performance and you can see the boys stuck together. Um, and when we're playing for each other and you can see down the field, that's when we, when, we, when we do our best. So definitely, you know, not happy that we couldn't get three points, but we'll take the point and go home with it and uh, keep building. Uh, three games undefeated. That's a season high for Alan Koch's team. He mentioned it there, Shamit Shom. The, fir the first 11 games of the season, they had four points. They've now got 12 from the last 12. Okay, that's only one point per game, but they played eight of them away. 
Um, they beat Not yeah. Ottawa once. They narrowly lost to Ottawa, and they drew. So they, they've gone toe to toe with the top team in the t- in the league uh, right now. And I know Charlie, on your analysis, you were very very high in praise for Shamit Shom as well. Yeah, he was really good, and we, you know, he's kind of had a, a up and down beginning to life in the Canadian Premier League. He obviously came in as quite a, a high profile player with you know the games that he played in MLS with Montreal and so on, but. It's taken him a little bit to really get comfortable playing for that hometown team. But this last run of games in Edmonton, he's really, really kind of seized the the idea of being the leader on that pitch for them. And, and he's been really, really good. Him playing in that midfield, especially in the second half against Ottawa with Mamadi Kamara and Simon Trentafilo next to him. Uh, it was very well organized, which is something that Edmonton have been good at this year. And he was winning a lot of balls. He was kind of dictating tempo he would win the ball he would look for the right outlet option and he would you know generally play a, a a quite safe pass that would advance the ball upfield and then it'd be able to slowly methodically work it forward and he was just really really composed and mature on the ball i felt which is you know a, a difficult thing for a young player to do yeah he's been very good arguably one of their best players over the last month kibetar's obviously been out and then obviously wachevsky's been excellent as well uh with more on this game let's go back to ottawa nation's capital here's alan koch I think for the team that's bottom of the league to go to the place uh, where we're playing against the team that's top of the league, you'll, you'll gladly take a point. Um, but I think more than just taking the point, it's how we took the point. Uh, I think we limited them and we shut them down for most of the game. Uh, just being a couple of the players in the locker room right now, they're a little disappointed that we didn't capitalize on one or two of our transition moments at the end of the game. Um, that would be in the perfect road game. But uh, proud of the group. I think our group's in a good place. We continue to push. We continue to grow. Uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. Uh, on the other side of things, Carlos Gonzalez saw red, uh, something they're appealing, by the way, for a little bit of a confrontation. Uh, here's what he had to say after this one, after they dropped points at home to FC Edmonton. That you use the, the key word, disappointing. Yeah, we are all very disappointed today because uh, although we didn't do our best game, I think we were better than, than Edmonton. It's true that they did a, a good game, the game that we expected that they were going to do. And of course, we are disappointed because we've, we wanted the three points today. Um, but uh, football is like this. Uh, there are three options of results. Today, we weren't as fluid in the, in, in the offensive phase in the last meters. And this can happen. You know, the other team defends really well. They, were, they play with high intensity. So, yeah, it's true that we feel a little bit disappointed. But we have to look the... For the good part of, of, of all of this, that is what you said, that we are still in the in the first place in the standings, that uh, if we take a big picture of, of everything, we are in a good situation. Carlos mentioned it there, Charlie. They're still top, but the next four games are all away from home. Pacific, Valor, Cavalry, and Halifax. That's not easy, uh, but they've only lost no. twice away from home all season. And those corresponding fixtures already this season, they've gone to those games. They've won three of them, so that's nine out of 12. So uh, they still feel comfortable, but in the end, it could still be a game when they look back if they don't clinch first overall that they might regret, no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still three clean sheets in a row for them, which is right. what they'll kind of hang their hats on and they'll be impressed with. But this has kind of been a thing with Ottawa a lot of this year that they've had trouble breaking down low blocks or when teams are going to to set up, especially with a back five as Edmonton did. And Carlos Gonzalez spoke about it before the game as well, about how they need to move the ball faster. They need to pull players out of position and create space in behind. And they just couldn't do that in this game. And it's partly credit to Edmonton and how structured they were and how you know good they were at, at maintaining that line and not biting on 
on those opportunities or anything like that. But it's been a bit of a concern for Ottawa in a lot of games this year that when they do have a lot of the ball, when they are forced to play into a team and to try and break them down, they do have trouble creating those open play chances sometimes. So I think that's certainly going to be what they want to to figure out. Although, again, playing on the road so often in these last few weeks, you know, a, a lot of the time the other team will be a lot more open Suits than Edmonton. So they'll still they'll still be able to find maybe more of those opportunities in behind with Balu Tabla and things like that. So. Uh, yeah, they are a team that can do quite well on the road, so I don't think they'll be too concerned about this. No. One thing to note before we move on, I know a lot of Ottawa fans joining us live, they recorded 135 under-21 domestic minutes in the game. Uh, they're now 504 under-21 domestic minutes away uh, and needing to play those 504 minutes in the last five games to get to the 2,000 and be eligible for the playoffs. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, we'll move out to the West Coast now for a fantastic match on Saturday uh, from Pacific against York United, and we'll roll the highlights. What a game this was. Alex is not here. He's actually trying traveling so he can't join us agr is usually our correspondent but what a game this was and a tale of two halves on one side we had a pacific team without a win in three needing to start well and doing so kunle dadaluk with the goal in the first half uh but a turnaround of epic proportions in the second half charlie york united were absolutely marvelous one of the best second half performances we've seen all season long goals probably inspired by mo babuli and the substitute from kevin de santos but babuli and de rosario and gutierrez uh put a cap on what was a an overwhelming performance they could have had more than three in this one absolutely they definitely had they could have had four or five maybe six and it's kind of a reverse of the last time pacific went to york Lions stadium right where you know york had a very good first half and then pacific opened it up and alejandro diaz ended up with a hat trick and they won four two but this was definitely a, a, a impressive very impressive performance away from home for york who have been good on the road pretty much all year as well but the you know the way that they attacked with that confidence, they were able to to move the ball quickly and, and directly, which I think has been very good. They kind of changed things up at halftime. Kevin Santos coming into the match to attack, and he was really really good as well. Helped pull a lot of the strings. But um, the other story of this game is just how good Moba Bully is, which we already knew. But seeing him do it so consistently in these few games in a York shirt, this was arguably his best game for them yet. So uh, there is a lot to like about this kind of latest edition of this York team who have obviously gone through a lot of changes this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Babuli and Santos technically look really good together. You can see that they sync yeah. the same speed, and Babuli was class. That delivery for the yeah. free kick that led to the second goal was underrated. Marvellous delivery. Uh, and the changes at halftime worked. So what did Martin Nash say? We talked about that with him in the press conference after this one. There are a few things tactically. I thought we were too spread out, too open. Um, we were we left too many passing lanes open, and a team like this can really hurt you if you leave passing lanes open. I thought we did some good things going forward, uh, but we weren't pleased with the effort at halftime. So, you know, had to have a go at them a little bit because I think if you don't bring the effort, you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, our guys responded. They brought the effort, uh, and I thought it was a tremendous effort second half. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought we deserved the win in the end. More than deserve the win. By the way, they haven't had an expected goals finish total of over two all season. This one was over three. That's how good they were. Uh, let's more break down York United and be joined now live uh, by their skipper, the main man himself with the back. Here he is, Dominic Zator. Uh, Dom, appreciate it. I know you just come off the training pitch, so we appreciate yeah, yeah. you spending some time with us on this Tuesday. Um, always nice after a weekend to get a big win like that, no? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's a, it's a huge win for us. That's something we need. Uh, obviously, bouncing back from the Cavs game uh, where we had some good chances to kind of sneak out a result there. So 
yeah, that game was that, that game was massive for us, especially that first half. We're kind of it seemed like we we're just like running through the motions, and then like Nashi said in the press conference, he kind of kind of grilled into us a little bit, um, and that's what we need a little bit of a kick in the butt to get us going, and a couple tactical changes, and really that that changed our whole game plan. And you could see in that second half, we had a lot more movement going around getting those expected goals. It was, uh, it was, it was really good. Pleased with the team effort. Dom, you've been around this team all year last year. You've seen kind of a lot of different versions of it, I think, but these last few games, the, the win at forge, this win here, um, a lot of it has been on the backs of some of these new players that have come in in just kind of the last few weeks with Babuli, Ronan Kratt, you know, Lewis, all these guys, what's it been like for you kind of watching this team sort of grow and evolve? And what do you like about where you guys are now? <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been a weird year, a lot of ups and downs. Um, but yeah, the the new guys coming in right now, it's it's key for us. They're the little spark we needed. A player like Moba Bully, who's uh, probably one of the MVPs of this league, I think, over the last couple of years. He's, uh, he comes in right away and he changes the game. He's an experienced player can kind of pull the strings with his experience. He's able to keep us calm and in possession instead of kind of rushing the ball and kind of scraping by. And then, yeah, you get goals now coming from um, with Ronan, with his speed, young player coming in, Kevin Dos Santos. There's a lot he brings to the game. Um, even even the guys like Lewis, who's come in, both Aussie boys, Lewis and even Taz, like two experienced players playing in the A-League, it's just kind of given us a little bit of life, and right now we're just kind of running with that. But it's uh, it's made the last couple of games a little bit more enjoyable. Obviously, the results help that way, so we're just kind of going to run it for the last couple of games and see where that takes us. Don, for those who didn't see the game, they would have missed a marauding left back like a Roberto Carlos down that, <laughs> down that flank from you. There, some of us were a little surprised you playing in that position, um, but it actually cost you your Ironman streak because uh, you didn't <laughs> actually finish the match. I got my stats here in my book. You were the last player. You played every minute of every game so far this season. So I guess um, question A is: Are you okay after you came off? How are you feeling? <laughs> and, and question B: What was it like playing on the left side? Um, yeah, I'm all, I'm all right. It was, uh, I've never experienced that double calf cramp like that in my life. It was, uh, it was tough, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird one. It was, uh, the day before the game, Nashley kind of comes up to me and says, Hey, listen, we're going to have you jump in on the left side, a little bit more pace to kind of deal with that Luke and boost those. So it was kind of like, all right, wrap your head around it. You got less than 24 hours to kind of figure out a new position. I've kind of been in the right back position uh, before uh, in like 2019 and going through like youth and stuff, but left side's completely different. You kind of got to open up your body and things like that. So to be fair, a team like Pacific, they, they're clever. They have got good movement. Um, and Bustos kind of got me sucking inside and then played that long ball over. So it was kind of, I guess it was my fault for the, the initial goal, but luckily we were able to turn around and I was fortunate enough to put in a good ball to help us get back into the game. So mm -hmm. kind of canceled each other out, I guess I could say. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was different, but it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was interesting. Obviously, Martin Nash would have seen you playing in that right fullback role in 2019. I think it was like when, when Dean Northover went down and you had to shift over for most of that yeah, year at Cattery. Yeah. Um, but speaking of kind of going back to 2019, I think we've done our math right. And over the weekend, you, uh, you played 100 games for CPL clubs. Uh, across cavalry yeah. and york just what has it kind of meant to you to to be in this league the last four years and to to be able to hit a milestone like that yeah no i'm super pleased um uh 
extremely grateful to both clubs and to the league to now reach a hundred games. Uh, obviously without the league, I wouldn't really have had the opportunities to play these professional games. I didn't really know what pathway I was going to take. It's, it was difficult kind of coming out of university and trying to figure out what's the best pathway. But um, yeah, the league kind of opened up that door for me to get these games in. And now being, I think the fourth player to play a hundred games in this league is, yeah, it's a huge honor. So yeah, it's a, it's a good milestone. I'm excited and um, yeah, proud of myself to even play that many games. Yeah, you said you're thankful for the league. We are certainly thankful for you. You're right. You're the fourth centurion in CPL history behind Tristan Henry, Alexander Ashnoli Johnson, and Kyle Becker. It's a fantastic achievement. Dom, if you if you don't mind, share with us a little bit about how difficult it was for you guys during that run. I think you had two wins in 15. Um, how hard was it personally? And how much of a, of a leadership role did you take in terms of nurturing that squad, helping Nashi as a first-year coach to now come around on the other side of it and start smelling the roses again, I suppose? Yeah, I, it was it was difficult times. It's, uh, it's very unfortunate with the amount of injuries we had to some very good players who are, who would be starters on our team. You could see in the first couple of games when we even had uh, Oliver Minitel coming in, scoring a goal against his whole club, Cavs, like – He's an experienced player, brings so much. Um, we had Michael Petrasso out for many games with his ankle injury. Now he's slowly coming back, which is another good player, experienced player to have. Austin Ricci, you, as soon as he came in, gave us a lot of life and then another unfortunate injury there. So it was it was kind of tough because it looked like we were about to get somewhere and then we just kept taking one step forward, but then it was actually two steps back. And it was, it was a, yeah, it's tough times, but we knew we just kind of had to, keep digging in and then yeah as a leader I tried to talk to a lot of the young kids because they they're now getting their opportunities to play their first professional games and it's not if you can have one good game that's great it's about trying to string along a couple good games and that's that's what's key uh in being a good consistent footballer and it, it, it took some time, but now we can see we're also making some good changes and the team's starting to like build a little bit more chemistry again and you can see with the results we have now, it's it's really starting to pay off. And we're just going to try to run it to the end of the year and see what can kind of come from it, like maybe cause a little chaos in the in the standings. But it's it's exciting now. It's a little bit more enjoyable because we have uh, the team's kind of working well together. Yeah, you speak about you know, stringing together a few good games, doing it more consistently, building chemistry. You're entering a stretch here where you got three Fridays in a row at home. It's your, your last three home games of the year. Is that kind of the focus for these then, just to to continue on and just try and like continue with this attacking football you've been playing and just show that you know, there is something in this squad and, and obviously looking towards next year as well? 100%. Like we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Um, it's it's one of those. We just, you got three home games on the bounce. So if we can somehow pull out three wins, nine points, we're kind of back in it because all the top four teams are going to be fighting yep. against each other and all of a sudden there's going to be some chaos at the end and it just comes down to the, it might come down to the final two games. So right now, yeah, it's about just putting a performance in a good performance in every game and just kind of hopefully string in a couple more wins at the end and see where that takes us. And yeah, again, it's a lot of players, it's still playing for contracts for the following year. So it's about still performing. It's not just if we're mathematically, you're going to be out. It doesn't mean, okay, you give up. It's, you still got to perform and, obviously try to get that contract for the next year and try to keep improving as a player. It's still a new league, a lot of young players. So it's, it's all about trying to improve.
yeah, if you're interested, go out and get go on the website, go out and get your tickets at York because three big games coming up. They're a fun team to watch and very very winnable games as well. Uh, last one, Don, before we let you go, is on Martin Nash. I know he doesn't like uh, talking too much and he lets everything else and everyone else talk for him, but um, you've been one of his big lieutenants, no? Like, what's it been like working with uh, with a real gentleman this year through the ups and now the down the downs and then the back ups again? Not great. I'm I respect Nash a lot. I think he's a very um, intelligent coach. He understands the game very well. You can always see that he's thinking football-wise. What's the best way to beat teams tactically? He's very, very intelligent, and I think he's a, he's also a good leader. He's able to kind of bring the best out of some players. Is first year, so there's always things that you can improve on. Uh, but that's, I think, for first year, I think he's done well with the kind of hand he's been dealt with some of the players and the injuries going down. It's just trying to adapt, and you can see when we have a strong lineup out we we're a very difficult team to beat and I think in coming into these last games it's we're probably the team most teams don't want to play against because you never know what can come from us and it, I do believe we're a tough team to beat yeah no doubt about it great stuff again thanks so much for spending some time with us we appreciate you as ever keep up the great work great to hear that you're, you're doing okay as well and yeah, uh, you'll be back perfect. on the pitch and, and fantastic achievement great stop on the CPL Centurion that's fantastic thanks again Don. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We always appreciate you. Dominic Zator, fantastic. Uh, one of the best defenders in the league, no doubt about it. Yep. I may well be up for that uh, award at the end of the season. Uh, that was the York side of things. Uh, what about the Pacific side of things? Uh, talking about teams you don't want to play, uh, Pacific certainly looked like a team they didn't want to play York in the second half. Uh, before we break them down, let's go back to Starlight Stadium and hear the thoughts of their boss. Here's James Murray. Some of the performances have been... Uh, fatigue and, and tired, but we don't have any excuses for this game. We have to want it more. Um, we have to have more desire. Uh, of course, we, we miss Manu Aparicio, um, but we can't we can't let ourselves down like this um, without him in, in the heart of the team. Um, I, I think we have a, a strong group, a strong character in there. We just got to find it and bring it back out. Um, but today was today was very, very poor. We need to be much better. As ever, honesty uh, from James Merriman. Who are the real Pacific? That's what question I have for you, Charlie. Um, are they just simply a team without Aparicio that are very different? The, the numbers would say so. 25 yeah. points from 10 games when he starts and ends effectively ends a game. 10 points from 12 games when he's not when he's not playing. Um, that's that's a remarkable disparity, by the way. Pacific started the season 16 points from their first seven. Then they went winless in seven. Then they won five in a row. And now they've gone three losses on the bounce. So talk about mm. streaky, no? Like, what are they? Are they in between that? Are they a team that's dangerous in the playoffs? Are they a team that you'd be most concerned about with the Valor rise? What do you think? Yeah, I think they probably would be at the moment. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, kind of is maybe the difference between having and not having Manu Aparicio is that they're just a little bit less aggressive off the ball without him. There's not as many players maybe tracking back or, or putting a press on because that's obviously one of his greatest strengths is his work rate and the ground he covers to win the ball and, and you know counter press, create those opportunities. And that doesn't necessarily happen as much without him. Obviously, you know, Josh Hurd does that, but uh, he's, he's one guy. But it's, yeah, there's something just a little bit different as well about the specific team without Alejandro Diaz. I think it has yeah. to be said. They've Two goals struggled. Four games I, I think they, they scored twice since he's been gone and that's uh not good enough. I think they would that's what they would say 
right off the bat. Uh, they need to score more goals. They need to find a new solution because he's a very specific kind of player that they don't have, uh, you know, an exact match for. Uh, Jordan Brown is still trying to to get up to speed and, and to get acquainted with the new team. And may, I think the idea is for him to be that target center forward, but again, not quite the same kind of player as Diaz who's going to find those pockets and, and score the the goals that look easy but are not, I think, as, as we'd call them. Um, so, yeah. The, yeah, the specific team has a lot of things to work through. There's, you know, still players that maybe aren't, you know, player, players that we know are very, very talented and haven't quite hit their stride in the last few weeks. They're, they've been a little bit up and down at times. Um, there were things to like in his performance, especially in that first half. Uh, I know AGR highlighted that partnership on the right between Kunle Dadaluk and Marco Bustos, which was very good in, in some of their best performances of the year, especially early on in the season. That was kind of the driving force for a lot of their successes. So if that's back and, and on the menu, then that's very good news for Pacific. But uh, you, they do seem to be maybe lacking a little bit of that bite and that attacking you know, energy and guile that they've had in some of their better performances of the year. And I'm not quite sure where that's going to come from in the next few weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. I've been concerned for them for a while, to be fair. Um, you know, they play Ottawa this week. It's a massive game. You know, it's just a, yeah. a, an enormous match. I, I didn't use that word deliberately. It just came up. <laughs> um, but uh, and they, they've still got to play Forge twice and the end of the season in Calgary. So, yeah. you know, they, put it this way, they're going to work their way in if they get in, they deserve it after with with the schedule to come. No, I mean that is a very interesting, yeah. very interesting schedule to come. Uh, they obviously miss Diaz, but without Aparicio, their midfield is lost. And you know we're big fans of their mm-hmm. midfielders. You know individually, Young's had a great season. Dixon, you know, is is sparing his minutes, but uh, boy, oh boy, I can I'm concerned uh, about that midfield, no doubt. So keep it, we'll keep an eye on that. And yeah, I know that there's, there's a lot of. Pacific fans here in the chat and some of you guys pointing towards the CONCACAF run, I get it. You know, it's part of the plan and part of the reason why they've, they've looked a little bit off this season, uh, particularly this month. And as been shown, if Manny Aparicio comes back, they could look like a championship winning team pretty quickly, but they're going to have to. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be pretty And that's, you could sense the um, the urgency in Merriman's, in Merriman's press conference there. That's the thing. Quick, right? I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for them to have to face this kind of adversity for them to be the team that's dropped out of the playoff picture because I think they maybe needed that that kick to you know kind of pick themselves back up and, and realize that it's not going to be a given that they get into the playoffs. I think they could certainly use that that bit of a reminder in these last few weeks because things are going to get very difficult for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's bring in our man Benedict Rhodes, who's been living on Sydney, Australia time for the last 24 hours. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but you've been a busy man. So for the final game of the weekend at the Wanderers Grounds, you are our correspondent. And Cavalry Ben had the chance to go top of the table with the win. Uh, but Stephen Hart's team needed a response after loss last week against Edmonds. They almost got the goal there through Zach Fernandez. Marco Carducci was the man, though. And in the end, Carducci was the best player on the pitch in a game that didn't necessarily ignite into life. Yeah, it didn't you know, in the life is, is probably a good way of putting it. it was, there's a lot of opportunities in this game that both teams had. We've seen another one right here for watching on YouTube where where both teams had chances to score and, and both teams you know, had opportunities to, to win this game, but neither one of them was able to take advantage. And I, th- I think a, a nil-nil is probably a fair result. Like Both teams didn't deserve to lose, but probably didn't deserve to win either. Uh, and, and that's sort of what happened in this game. Yeah, you could see. I think there's a lot of expectations, Charlie, coming in that Cavalry could really just get an enormous 
you know, jump on the us, the teams in the top four who weren't playing well this weekend outside of Valor, obviously mid in there. Um, but in the yeah. end, they probably look satisfied to get the point in, in a game where they know they've still got a lot of home games to come. Maybe that helped them, Charlie. That they just they look like a game they didn't want to lose. Yeah, I think that was probably part of it. And as you alluded to, they finished the season with three straight games at home in you know late September, October, Calgary weather, which will suit them. But yeah, I, I do think that Stephen Hart is probably the slightly happier manager after this one, especially with his side's ability to to hold out the point, especially after losing Gagnon Lapare and Mwandwe in the first half, yeah. which throws your plan out the window. But yeah, Cavalry were... They did a lot of the things that they, they'll normally do. They had chances. Jose Escalante flew in, threw in some very good set pieces. Um, there did seem to be some frustration to me, though. I mean, even if you look at kind of the body language after some of the chances they gave up, the players, they look like there's a little bit of frustration. They know that you know the last few weeks haven't necessarily been as fluid as they'd like to be. Um, again, they're still a very difficult team to play against. They're going to make things very very hard when you go up against them they're going to be very physical and and that's one of their strengths and it was again in this game but uh yeah i, I think that they're like really the rest of the the previous top four from a couple of weeks ago uh not quite at the top of their game at the moment and certainly a, a bit of a concern for this team uh, as we go into these last five games that they have talking about the last five games forge away this weekend another Massive game this weekend. Uh, Edmonton away, and then the end with Ottawa, Valor, and Pacific all at home. And probably with those last three games and with the other teams fading a little bit and Ottawa's away, I think they're probably the bookmakers' favorites to win the regular season title just based on that schedule yeah. right now. I think that's where we would lead. Think, they may not, but that I think they're probably the favorites. Sorry, Charlie. Yeah, no, I, I just think that of the top five, I think Cavalry are the only one that plays each of the other four. Right. In the last few weeks. Right. So they control their yeah, own destiny. In their hands, yeah. They absolutely have it in their hands. So yeah. I think that's how they'll see it. Yeah. Um, you guys but... Yeah, you're right. You guys talked about them trying to get their offense going in this game. They did bring on uh Ben Fisk and Ali Moosey to try and get going. Here's Tommy Wilden Jr. after the match. Ben's a terrific player. He's very experienced, and I think games like this suit him because we knew after an hour we could change the picture and you know come Jose try and overlap from a you know he was playing winger and we thought if we dropped him into fullback that seemed to be the out because they were playing a five three two so we thought if we could access that and it would allow Ben and Moosey to come inside and look to combine and in turn you know Joe Mason is very good at that you know clever movements and. You know, on another day, we, we maybe create a half a yard difference that could have seen us leave here with three and not just one. But yeah, both, both had a good impact on the game. That was the cavalry action tactically. What about the cavalry action with the ball and without the ball? Here's midfielder Elijah Adekubi. We might have come out a little bit slow, but I think you also have to give Halifax credit. They're home on Labor Day. It's full, it's rocking. So they come out with like an energy, which again, maybe the first 10 minutes we didn't quite match. Um, luckily, we still stayed in the game. Um, we survived the wave. And I think sometimes when you're on the road, you have to learn to survive moments. They're a good team. They're going to have moments of momentum. And I think the experience we have, we manage that. And then when we have our moments of momentum, um, on another day, we have to capitalize and then we can come out with three points. But especially in environments like this where the atmosphere is like really intense, you know they're going to have moments of chaos where you're just going to have to ride out the storm. Let's talk in Halifax then, Benedict. Obviously, they're not going to make the playoffs. Um, what was the general thought watching this? Were you disappointed with them? Did you feel like they got everything they needed to get out of the game based on the, the, the disappointment from the week prior? It's, I think it's 11 goals at home in 11 home games this season. So it's not been a, an, an offensive wave by any stretch all year, really, for them. 
Yeah, I think I think they'll be happy with uh, the defensive performance. You know, a clean sheet, a clean sheet, uh, no matter no matter what the circumstances are. And and, and Karen Basket talked about that as well after the game. He said, you know, that, that's the main thing you're looking for, I guess, when you're at home is just to make your home a fortress. And uh, after some some difficult results at home earlier in the season, you know, the, the three 0 and the four 0 against Forge at home, right. you know, back to back clean sheets at home against Pacific and Calvary is is a pretty good sort of running games and. They were disappointed with that that result midweek or not midweek sorry last week I mean uh, against Edmonton but you no know, I think overall you know two a win and a draw at home and with two clean sheets is is pretty satisfactory I guess yeah satisfactory I suppose but not still good uh, satisfactory is about what sums up them sometimes uh, the thoughts of their head coach Stephen Hart after this one we were good in the first twenty five minutes we were brave with the ball. Um, in the first 23 minutes, we created four chances, you know, and uh, I start to sound like a broken record here, but you take one of those chances, you put them under pressure. Um, you know, simply we need too many chances to, to score. Uh, if, you know, uh, the Sam Salter header comes to mind, if he wants to be a top attacker, he has to bury those and um, he will keep working at it. But uh, after that, uh, we had to make a little bit of a adjustments with some injury and ride out the, the first half. Uh, in the second half, I think we showed them too much respect. We were too far away from, especially in the midfield, from the, from the midfield players, and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't disrupt the flow of, of, of the ball enough. But that being said, um, I thought... The defensive line uh, was was superb, in, in, including uh, basket with that. Sounds like a broken record. I think you said that about five times already this season. There's, there's a broken record, and then he's gone back to break it again. He's taken it out with the trash, gone back, smashed it up again, and broke it time and time again. This is the same old story every single home game. No, Benedict? I mean, poor Stephen. I don't know what else he can say. Yes, it's the same thing he says every 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 pregame press conference, every postgame press conference. They need to move the ball faster. They need to start taking advantage of their chances. He mentioned Sam Salter specifically by name there. Um, you know, I had a, a chance that Marco Carducci made a fantastic save on, but you know, it's an opportunity. You know, if you want to turn draws into wins, you got to be taking advantage of, and um, they didn't do that. And and like like Hart said, you know, a broken record is just the same thing every single week with this team and. And that's going to be the difference between them being, you know, a sixth place team and a, and a fourth place team. What about positives? I mean, Fernandez was good again, arguably their best player. Maybe, maybe this season, Salter's had a very good year as well, I suppose, uh, for them. Uh, and and Campania was terrific um, in, in his home debut. Yeah, him, him and Escobar were, were both playing their first starts, I believe, for, for Halifax in this game in the back line. And, and they were really good. You know, we mentioned Fernandez as well, but it was fantastic on that right side. And and I think you know having these sort of young players who, who are you know now getting a chance to, or then the sort of tail end of the season I guess to to really sort of uh, win contracts for next year and, and really kind of finish the season on a high. Stephen Hart talked about after the game he wanted to finish the season with ten wins and they currently have of seven, so he, they they want to finish strong and uh, I think you know having strong performances from the defenders is is always going to give them a chance and and Campania and Escobar and Fernandez and, and the whole team really definitely did that. In search for those 10 wins, they finished the season. Valor at home, York away, Pacific at home, Otter at home, and Forge away. So certainly a bit of a challenge for them to try and get to double-digit victories. Um, talking of a challenge, let's keep you awake a little bit. I know it's almost nighttime in Sydney. Uh, Benedict, what a morning you had covering the Canadian women's national team. I know you covered the last two games. Um, 
lots of heroes, but I suppose we have to start with the Adriana Leon show again. A brilliant second half display from her and getting both goals in these victories. Yeah, she had all three goals in these two, these two games, and you know, I believe she's on twenty seven goals now for Canada, which ties with Melissa Tancredi, who is obviously one of one of the greats for Canada as well. And and uh, yeah, she's she's motivated this season. I know Brett Priestman has spoken about how she she's moved to Manchester United for this season, and and uh, that's going to be a, a sort of motivation for her to you know continue to raise her level. And and I think you saw in this these two games that you know she's motivated. She can be a focal point of this team. She can score goals, which is what the team needs desperately. Um, and and she showed all of that over these these two matches. Adriana Leon might be Canada's best player in 2022. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it, she's had she's had an incredible year. But uh, you know, one of the other performances you pointed out in this game, Ben, was uh, it was Jade Rose coming at the back and having one of the toughest assignments in women's international football at the moment with trying to mark Sam Curtis. What did you make of the defensive performance from this team as a whole, and, and specifically what Jade Rose was Rose was able to do in this game? Yeah, it's a very mature performance. You know, they're they're missing Kanisha Buchanan, Vanessa Gilles, Alicia Chapman, um, Jade Riviere, Ashley Lawrence. Like they're missing the entire back line, and, and they all stepped up. Jade Rose in particular was was fantastic. Uh, uh, Sam Kerr is no easy task, of course, and and she played her off the park. I think it's fair to say, like she she was all over the end of the first half. There's one chance in particular where Sam Kerr was kind of in behind the the back line, and and Rose caught up to her and made a big tackle to deny. You know, one-on-one with Kaylin Sheridan, who had a bit of a, a shaky game. So, uh, yeah, very good performance from her. Bianca St. George on, on the right as well was fantastic in both games and definitely uh, an opportunity for these players to get some minutes that they might not have had the other six players they're missing uh, been in the team. Benedict, what I liked about these games is, and this is not a criticism of what happened before, but I felt like sometimes a lot of the other games post-Olympics were a little bit more of a celebration and a reflection uh, and a way of honoring the team, as they perhaps should have been. Uh, but eventually, athletes just want to be tested. Coaching staff certainly need to see players be tested in such such scenarios. This, this was not a tournament, but the nature of the place they went to, the stadiums, the amount of fans there, it felt big, no, for those players to come through these tests. Yeah, definitely. You know, They played in front of, I think, uh, 17,000 and 22,000, I believe it was in these two matches. And in the very intense games, Australia has had a bit of a, a rocky uh, sort of tenure, I guess, recently. And and they were wanting to put up some big performances at home in front of their fans as well. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, an intense couple of games. And, and, you know, with the World Cup coming up in Australia next next year and New Zealand, uh, you know, getting used to that that travel as well. It was a whole day of travel to get there and to have some travel issues. And, and that's definitely something they're going to have to, you know, be ready for come, come next year as well. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point uh, to make that this team is starting to, you know, maybe put that put that gold medal win a little bit behind them and, and move on to look at what the future is because obviously at the Olympics they're by no means a perfect football team, right? Especially attacking from open play. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of things that they have to focus on. So it's important to me that they're, you know, focusing on this World Cup coming up because that's really where. Where the prestige is for me, they need to have a, a performance there after you know a few actually quite disappointing World Cup performances. But Benedict, are you seeing this progress and this team kind of evolving from you know what they were in Tokyo and, and kind of coming into a slightly different era of this squad? Yeah, different era. I think it's a good way of putting it. You know, Christine Sinclair, her, her role in this these two games was sort of as an attacking midfielder. Uh, Bev Priestman kind of changed the formation from a four three three to sort of a four two three one. With uh, Sinclair in the in the sort of attacking role with with Grosso and Fleming behind her for most of the two games, and now we're now we're wonders. I think you know Sinclair doesn't have the legs maybe that she used to, and 
but she still has, she still has the ability to, to play a pass or take a shot and, and so intelligent of course and I think that that role is going to really make a big difference for Canada and and sort of evolving tactically I think is going to be a pretty important part of these next next few months or so as you prepare for the World Cup and like you said they had a couple of disappointing World Cups in a row now so uh it's probably a good chance he has to take that next step Great experience too, going out there before playing in that World Cup that will obviously be in Australia and New Zealand. And I think the draw is next month. Is that right, Benedict? I think it's, I believe it's so. the 29th of October. It's in Auckland anyway. It's right around. It's a Friday in, 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 in October. I know that. Um, all right, let's wrap up the show with the Canadian Premier League standings before we look ahead to next week. And look at that. Does not get much tighter than that. If you're listening on the I on the uh, on the podcasts, Atletico uh, Ottawa top on 40 points from 23 games, Cavalry on 38 from the same number. They both got five games left. Forge have a game in hand. They're on 36, but they no longer have that game in hand where they can take them to the top. Uh, points per game, they are no longer the best team in the CPL. We haven't said that for a while. Uh, Valor are also on 36 from 23 as well. And right underneath Pacific, 35 from 22. That's right. The champs drop out uh, of the top four for the first time this season. York on 26 from 23 are still playing spoilers and underneath that Halifax on 25 and Edmonton up to 16 having 12 points from their last 12 games uh before we end the show let's look ahead to next week and the action in the Canadian Premier League A reminder, the CPL predictor brought to you by Command Your Chance to test yourself against other CPL fans to win cash and other lucrative prices. Just predict the scores and go on to campio.ca slash predictor. Here are the games. Let's try and help you uh, predict the score. Starts on Friday night, York Edmonton. Charlie, you were there for the last one. It was a bomb burner. Five game, oh, five yeah. ball thriller. Three, two. Are you going to give a little bit of a prediction for some more? Oh, I would love another three, two, but I think... I think it'll it'll be a little bit more more reined in this time. I'm thinking two one for York in this one. Two one for York. All right, I'll take Saturday in Halifax Valor. Valor went there not that long ago and had a major disappointment. Can they keep their run going? I expect it to be tight. I'll probably go with a one one. Yes. Okay. I'm a fence sitter. Uh, Benedict is not <laughs> a fence sitter. Halifax. Uh, uh, it was the weekend game there. He had next week. He got Forge against Cavalry. Uh, this is a brilliant game. Early in the season, they tied 2-2 with two dramatic with a dramatic late goal by David Schwanier. Uh Benedict, should we expect goals again? I think I think so. I think you know Cavalry are gonna be wanting some points to you know secure their spot in the top four and, and York I'm sorry, Forge will be wanting to to uh you know keep themselves up there as well. And I'm gonna go for, for two one cavalry, I think. Okay, there we wow. go. Mitch, 2-1 Cavalry. Mitchell's not here. Uh, he missed out, so I'll go with the bathtub guy himself, Charlie. The hardest one of the weekend <laughs> for me. That is a tough one. No Pacific Ottawa. What would you tell our viewers to pick? Uh, well, I'd first tell our viewers not to run with me being a bathtub guy. But okay. <laughs> Pacific Ottawa, I think that I, th I think I fancy Ottawa in this game on the road. They'll have a little bit more space in behind uh, with Pacific maybe trying to come out and play, so Maybe a maybe a three two in this game. It'll be kind of wide open. Lots of goals. Okay, uh, that wraps up the show. Um, AGR's traveling, so we missed him this week, but he'll be back next week. Thanks again to Mitchell Tinney, to Benedict Rhodes, and of course to Dom Zator for joining us. Uh, Benedict's uh, fresh analysis pieces on campbell.ca from Sydney are uh, reviewing a brilliant win by Canada, and of course all our analysis and more news on campbell.ca, including this week Player of the Week power rankings 
manager of the month, goals of the month, player of the month. It's all coming. And we've got our nominees now for the best four goals of the month. Here they are. Another Atletico Audible player down as Alleman prepares for a cross. That winds in! Kevin Alleman has scored! What started as an outswinging cross finds its way through Christian Oxner for the match's opening goal. It is Kevin's first for Atletico Ottawa. Mensa on his left, thought about the shot, keeps it. Now he strikes. Christian Mensa, a goalazo! Announcing their arrival in the second half with an exclamation mark. What a hit that is for Krasnovic. His first of the season is a special one.